Welcome to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. If you're an athlete, coach, or sports fan driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our free monthly magazine at faithdrivenathlete.org. We'll compile the best videos, articles, and resources written by athletes across the country and bring them to you once a month. This podcast, of course, doesn't exist without you, our community. So while you're on the site, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, any questions that you might have for our guests. So for me, I had put like my own little blinders on and I put myself in my own little box of what I was capable of doing. But then when you look in the Bible and you think about, you know, Jacob and you think about all the things and Moses and, you know, you, you go through and you have people that had different things in their lives that in their mind should have stopped them. But God pushed them through. Pat was kind of that for me. You know, she was the one that kind of opened the door, like God had given her the vision or given her the word to speak. And for me, I didn't have my vision wasn't broad enough to see where I could be and what type of platform God would put me on. Hey everyone, it's the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. We're glad you're here because today we have a conversation with a living basketball legend. What I'd like to do is just list all the awards Tamika Catchings has won. But our conversation is so good and quite honestly, her list of awards so long that we don't have time. So we're going to jump right in, but I will let you know that she is a WNBA champion and a four-time Olympic gold medalist. Tamika also has experience as a coach and now a general manager. She was recently a part of the star-studded basketball Hall of Fame class, along with the late Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, KG, and more. She shares with us her basketball journey as well as her faith journey. And what it's like from moving from player to coach to basketball administration. Let's listen in. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. This is probably our first episode with a Hall of Famer. Super cool to have Tamika with us on the show. Tamika, thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us, what was it like growing up in the Catchings household? When were you introduced to faith? When were you introduced to basketball? Ooh, I don't even know where to start. So my father played in the NBA, played for 11 years for the Milwaukee Bucks, New Jersey Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, and the Los Angeles Clippers. So needless to say, we moved around a lot. But, uh, you know, I just remember early on having the basketball in my hand. That's pretty much what our family did. And, you know, we just moved and bounced around my dad. Um, so I think along his journey and along the fact of just kind of moving around, you know, my mom did a great job of just kind of keeping all of us connected. And, you know, we had the family dinners and church was a huge part of pretty much every aspect of our life. And, and I just remember as a young girl with my older brother and my older sister just kind of being toted around everywhere. I would have to say from a faith standpoint, we're, we're like pretty much, you know, a lot of African-American families in general, like faith and going to church and being in church all day and being a part of every single church program that you could possibly think of and imagine we were a part of it and I remember that early going to church my sister my brother and I I would always make sure that I sat next to my sister because she had all the good snacks in her little purse and you know between the two of us always carrying a little notebook and a pen and just passing it back and forth so I think from a faith standpoint as a little girl the seed was planted I would honestly have to say as far as my own personal story and my own personal journey to really knowing God came my sophomore year in college. 
Uh-huh. Tell me about that. So my mom and dad got divorced when I was in seventh grade, but church was a huge part of our family and what we did. And even as we got older through junior high, through high school, my mom would always say, if you don't go to church on Sundays, you can't participate in anything else. So we always made sure we were in church. We always made sure, you know, we had our snacks and we were somewhat attentive. But I remember when I graduated from high school and got to University of Tennessee with Pat Summit, and I was just like, oh man, like I can make my own schedule. If I don't go to church, I can still play basketball. I can still do whatever I wanted to. And I would have to say that, you know, basketball really became my God. And it became the mm. thing that I lived for. And like, that was like the focus. And of course I went to class and, you know, we had to make good grades and Pat was very instrumental in making sure that all of us were always in the classroom. But I would say for me, you know, we went through freshman year, 39 and 0, we won a national championship. Wow. And I remember like after like, man, if this is how the next three years is going to be, I am in for the ride of my life. And then sophomore year came and, uh, our first loss, it's funny that I live in Indiana now, but our first loss in my collegiate career was to the Purdue Boilermakers. We came out here, we lost to them. That was my first loss. After that, we had a couple more losses. And you would have thought like the world had come to an end. I think that whole season we ended up losing 10 games, but you would have thought like us losing those few games, it changed everything. And randomly, I just remember driving home one day and I passed by a billboard and on the billboard, the church had advertised the guest speaker coming to town, and I don't know what it was. I went back to campus, and you know, we came in at the Fab Four, Samika Randall, Teresa Jeter, Christian H. Clement, and myself. And so I went back to the dorms, and I was like, hey, guys, I don't know what it is. I saw this billboard. I probably have passed by it who knows how many times, but like, I just feel like there's this guest speaker coming at the church. Like, let's just go check it out. And... All of us had grown up, you know, faith was a big part of the four of us. And so we ended up going to this revival and I was Pastor Freeman, Pastor Kim Freeman. And I just remember he had preached about who's your daddy and talked about, you know, it's not about your earthly father, it's about your heavenly father, no matter what your relationship is with your earthly father that your heavenly father always takes over and provides all of your needs. And, you know, we went through the whole spill, the whole sermon. And, you know, how like any church you go to at the end when they kind of have, uh, you know, if anybody wants to come back to God and wants to rededicate their life and all of that. And I swear, like all four of us, we rushed down, we rededicated our lives. And it was just really cool because we were all in different paths of life with our fathers. You know, like I said, my mom and dad had gotten divorced earlier when I was in seventh grade. And one of them hadn't seen their dad since like second grade. Uh, one of her dad was like the teen dad. He came to all of our games. And then the other one had never really had a good relationship with her father. So we all were in different phases with our dads. And so we rededicated our lives to Christ. I found out a couple weeks after that, got introduced to FCA on campus at the University of Tennessee. And the rest is history. Uh, that's a great history. That's a great history. <laughs> so tell us about basketball. You mentioned your dad played in the NBA for a while. I think he played with Dr. J, right? Mm -hmm. Is there some aspect of your game that you emulated from, from Dr. J? Uh, he was a little bit more dynamic than me, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> it's hard know, to be more dynamic <laughs> than, than Dr. J. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching and just being able to go to the games. And, you know, I think even at that point, like I didn't really understand the magnitude of 
who Dr. J was because my dad played too. So like my role model and the person that I wanted to emulate and be like was my dad early on. And then of course, as I got a little bit older, Alonzo Mourning was my Mm. favorite player of all time. So, you know, watching Dr. J was one thing and obviously what he represented in, you know, the dunks and the flashiness and just how smooth he was. But my dad, to me, at that point in time, my dad was like, I watched my dad. Yeah, of course. That's awesome. So you had your dad, of course, to watch, but you also had an older sister, right? And so I think that all of us, you know, just to time stamp this a little bit, we're recording this during the time where there's the COVID-19 quarantine. And so we're all at home. I'm a parent of three boys and and there's some amount of sibling rivalry on a basketball court. And so you see that, but you had an older sister you're playing with. How intense were those early one-on-one games? Yeah. So I have an older sister and an older brother and I definitely have the more competitive streak in myself. It might be a little bit crazy, but that's okay. So yeah, going out in the backyard. <laughs> it served you well. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. yeah. But going out in the backyard, you know, whether it was against my brother or whether it was against my sister, all three of us playing together. I mean, there was never a dull moment. And my dad used to get so mad because, I mean, like Taj and I, my sister, we would go at it. And I'm talking about blood. I'm talking about oh push my. downs. I mean, like when we'd have those times where it's like, hey, we're going to go play. And we also would have to emphasize like, hey, we're going to have a friendly game of horse. So we're going to have a friendly game of one-on-one, even though they were never friendly games. And I would dare anybody to try to get in between us. But my dad would come out. He'd storm out. Because, I mean, one of us would end up crying. One of us would end up with blood all over us. And my dad would literally come out and take the basketball. My sister would go in the house and play with her dolls. In the meantime, I would just start playing with my imaginary basketball because, you know, I'd love the game of basketball that much. The subtitle of your book, Catch a Star, is Shining Through Adversity to Become a Champion. Can you talk to us about what that adversity was for you and how you overcame it? Yeah, so at the age of three, my mom and dad found out that I was born with a hearing disability. And interestingly enough, my older brother was also born with a hearing disability. So they had gone through all the testing and they knew all the signs that came with him. So when they figured out that, you know, just like him, I had a hearing disability early on, like I really didn't understand what that meant. And then I got fitted into my first pair of hearing aids shortly thereafter. And, you know, we were moving around so much. So for us, our family was always so tight knit anyway that we really, you know, our families were our family and then the other. NBA families and so forth. So after my dad got finished playing at America, we actually moved to Italy for a year. And that's when, you know, Jelly Bean, Kobe's dad, and my dad played in Italy, not on the same team, but at the same period of time. And so I was in first grade then. And then in second grade, we moved back to Abilene, Texas, back to America. And that was the first time that I realized that I was different than everybody else. And going through that year, getting made fun of, getting teased because of my hearing aid, getting teased because of the way that I spoke, having to go to a speech therapist, I mean, the whole nine yards. And I just remember really struggling during that period of time and trying to make myself as invisible as I could possibly be, like questioning God, like, why did you make me like this? Supposed to be perfect in every single way, but this is not perfection to any means. And so I really struggled with myself in second grade and ended up throwing my hearing aids out. So even from that point forward, always trying to be invisible and through sports that's really why I started playing sports because through sports it was like I can practice and practice and practice and I can get really really good at something and people couldn't make fun of me 
And so whatever sport it was, I mean, soccer was my first sport. Then softball was my second sport. And then I started playing basketball. So that was like the third sport that I played in an organized fashion. But I think that was like the adversity in the beginning. And I've really been like my whole life. And then some of the adversity through injuries and, you know, just some of the things that you have to deal with more from my college to my professional years. Tamika, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. When you look back at your career, which we're going to talk more about in some more detail here in a few minutes, but if you could go back to Abilene in the summer and talk to a girl that's playing basketball in her driveway with that imaginary ball, what advice would you speak into her? What truth would you tell her that you learned through that experience? I think what I try to live by to this day, it's really about, you know, just keep believing and keep practicing and keep working. And, you know, one day all of your dreams will come true. And even at that age, like I didn't really have a dream or a goal. That wasn't until seventh grade that I dreamed about being in the NBA because the WNBA wasn't here. But I think in that point in time, just, you know, keep believing, keep striving, keep going. And one day, whatever, you know, I don't even know what I was dreaming about at that point in time, but it will come true. Speaking of dreams, you've played on four Olympic teams, won four gold medals, which again, to point out, that's probably twice as many gold medals as Michael Jordan. No big deal there. We'll, We'll just glance right past that. But talk to us about those teams. What made that experience and those teams special for you? Wow. You know, everybody always asks, like, out of those four, which one was your favorite or which one? And I'm like, you know, it's hard because all of them mean something else. And they all came at different periods of my life. I mean, you're talking about a four-year span in between each one, right? I mean, you got 2004, you started playing on the 2002 World Championship team, 2004 Olympic, 2006 World Championship, 2008, you know, Olympics. And then I didn't play 2010. 2012. So keep going on and on. But I think the thing that made it so special was for all four of those, I mean, we would come from our WNBA team. So we're the best players on our WNBA team. We come in the middle of our WNBA season, the Olympic team gathers together. So you forget about everything else that's going on. And by the way, you just gave me a cheap shot in the game that we just played you a couple nights ago and now we're teammates. But I think the most important thing when we got together and and represented our country is that we represent the USA as a whole. And so when we all got the, I mean, we brought into what we were there for and we were committed to winning the gold and nothing less. And so our practices were really, really intense. You know, how we carried ourselves off the court, how we carried ourselves on the court. I mean, I think it was just really really blue collar, you know, really like we got out there, we got to work. And even though we were the best of the best, I mean, we played for each other and we played for our nation. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll go with me on this, but if you had to look at those four teams, you have to put together four other people to start alongside you and the best of that span. Who's your starting lineup? Ooh, I starting lineup. Wow. I would have to say, I'm going to play myself at the three position. So that gives me a good group of four and a five, right? So I'm going to go with Lisa Leslie at my five. I'm going to go with Candace Parker at my four. I'll play the three. And I will go with Birdie. Now, I don't want any UConn, like Tennessee bias to get into this. This has got to, this has got to be objective here. 
So I'm going to go with, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I'm going to go with Dawn Staley at my one. I'm going to go with Diana at my two. Okay. I'm going back and forth. Can I have six? Because I got to have somebody come off the bench. So, you know, we're, we're we'll, going we'll to have one. a six-man rotation. I might not start. I'm okay with, with not starting if I don't have to. But I'm going to put Cheryl Swoops in there as well. There you go. That's a great five and an incredible, impressive group. Speaking of impressive groups, and while we're on that topic, you recently inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. As Henry mentioned, this might be the first time we've had somebody with that great honor. You joined an elite group, somebody that was a part of that group that obviously wasn't able to be a part of that induction with Kobe. And it sounded like your dad and his dad crossed some paths or the teams crossed paths there. What is that honor like for you to be a part of that Hall of Fame? And how did that feel to be inducted along some of those giants of the game? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, such a blessing, you know. And I just think back to, what was it, late November, early December when the announcement came out and it was just like, oh, you know, like first ballot players that will be able to be on the first ballot for the Naismith Hall of Fame and my name and KG and Kobe. Then I was just like, oh, you know, like that's kind of cool, right? First time, like now you can actually be on a ballot and, you never know what's going to happen with that. And so, like, I just remember being excited about it. And as I started kind of thinking through and I'm like, man, the crazy part about this is Kobe and I just going back to the beginning. And my father and his father, they, like, they played together in Philly for a little bit. And that's how our family knew each other. And then kind of fast forward, you know, they go their different ways and end up both of them in Italy and all of our family, both of our families just kind of hanging out. Um, but you don't really think about like everybody's like, well, what was what was it like when you guys were young? I'm like, we weren't worried about playing basketball. We were playing soccer. That's what people in Italy did, and that's what we were into. But you fast forward to the announcement, and for me, it was kind of like, man, this is cool. It's like the book is being closed. Like it's the grand finale, the last chapter. This book is over, and now we're both like starting a new book and a new chapter of our life. And um gosh, what a blessing, you know, like what a blessing to be able to experience that. And that's what I thought in November. And then of course, you know, past Kobe and Gigi and, you know, his friends and family. When that happened in January, like that weekend was crazy. That whole week, like, I think I'm still in like disbelief. And it's more so because of the impact that he had, you know, the impact that he had on the floor is one thing. But I think when you start looking at the thing that he was starting to do post-basketball, that's the thing that for me, like, I'm like, gosh, our lives, our journey, the path that we've been on have been so intertwined with always being able to make an impact on others. And so for us to be able to go into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame together and to be able to share, you know, that moment and the stage for a bit, like, it's surreal, to be honest, but it's a blessing, you know, like it is, it's a blessing. Is there a point in your career when all of a sudden that conversation of even being in the Hall of Fame becomes real? Is there a part where on a way to gold medals and NCAA titles and WNBA, and at what point does it say, hey, that could be a career milestone or goal to strive for? The Hall of Fame, I will be honest, like it never was a dream or a goal. You know, my first dream and goal was to be in the NBA. And then eighth grade was the first time I saw Pat Summit. It's the first time I saw women on national TV playing. And I, at that point, was like, oh my gosh, if I could ever get good enough to play for this lady, I would love to have that opportunity. 
And then freshman year in that 96, before freshman year, the 96 Olympic team, and watching Cheryl and Dawn and Lisa, and I was like, oh my gosh, if I could ever get a chance to represent my country and be just like them, like they became my first real female role models outside of my mom and Pat. And so that happened, 96, the WNBA starts right after that. And then the WNBA became my goal. Like it shifted from the NBA to the WNBA my freshman year in college. And so like, I just look back and I'm just super thankful for the journey that I've been on and just being able to, you know, to have goals and to be able to reach the goals and kind of see the vision along the way. So Tamika, you've been a player, a coach, an analyst, and a business owner, and now a general manager. I mentioned the business owner because we also have the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and the Faith Driven Investor podcast, but not a lot of people probably know about business owner. And actually, before I go to my question, tell us about the business owner part. I bet a lot of people don't know about that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, when I first got to Indiana, um, I was talking to somebody and one of the ways that my mom would keep us all together, we would have tea, like we would actually have like a little tea party uh-huh. and my sister would have big tea parties with all her dolls. And so got here, they told me about this amazing tea place around the corner from Banker's Life. And I'm like, oh, I'll go check it out one day and it ended up becoming like my, my spot. Like I would go there and the thing that I loved is nobody in there knew about basketball. So like I could go in there and they, yeah. I was a fly on and, the wall. Like nobody this cared. is in Indiana? In Indianapolis. It's like the only place in Indiana that nobody knows anything about basketball. (laughs) Yeah, so I would just go in there, I'd take my computer, I'd post up in a corner and just like hang out all day. And when I finished playing 2016, I remember I had a meeting there and the guy that I was with, I was telling him like, oh my goodness, like I just love coming here. Every time I come here, like I just feel like I'm at home. And he was like, well, you better come as much as you can because this place is going out of business. And I'm like, what? can't go out of business. And then long story short, found out the owner and his wife were moving. And I told him, I said, look, we can't let this place close down. So here's the deal. Give us a week. Yeah. Let me go. Like, let me think, let me try to find somebody that will come and take over. Like obviously got to find somebody that can financially come and take over the business. Right. So every single day that week, it came up in my dream, whether I was driving by, whether somebody in my dream talked about Tease Me, whether I was drinking some tea from Tease Me. I mean, it came up to some capacity. So I came back the next week and I'm like, okay, did you find anybody? He was like, nope. I'm like, oh, all right, one more week. And the same thing, like it came up over and over and over in my dreams. And I remember sitting down with my husband. I said, look, man, like, what about me? And he was like, what about you? And I'm like, what about me? Like, what about me? Can't I, can I run the tea shop? Can we buy the tea shop? And can I run it? And he was like, why not? Like everything that you are passionate about, you could tell I'm super passionate about it. Like everything you're passionate about, it just works. And you put the work in, you, you know, you do all the right things, like you do business the right way. And so went in, in February, 2017, took over Tease Me Cafe Indy, and I absolutely love it. Oh, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. What's it been like being a business owner and how is that surprising? Because, you know, a lot of people will say that they took over business and all of a sudden they've got all these invoices and they've got complaining customers and all of that, but that doesn't <laughs> seem to be part of your story. We did get complaining customers, but I think the few complaints that we have, I really appreciate, you know, because I want us to be the best. And I mean, it's like playing basketball, right? So the way we operate the business is the way that we operate like on the fever side, on Pacer Sports and Entertainment, you know, like you have our owner, the Simons, you have our president, Rick Fusen, you have 
each team, Pacer Fever, Mad Ants, our Pacer Gaming, I mean, each one has, we have our COO, we have our GM, you know, we have the coaches, we have the players. So, like, I operate our restaurant, the cafe, the same way that I would if I had a team. And, yeah. you know, so I'm the owner, then I have a GM, and yeah. then we have our managers who operate as our coaches, and then we have our, our team. And those are, you know, the other people that are in there that help make the, the team flow. So it's been good, but I love the complaints, the few complaints. Now I want everybody to start complaining, <laughs> yeah. but it helps us get better. You know, like when they say sometimes you have to lose game to be able to know what you need to work on. I mean, it's almost the same thing. Like the complaints are like our games that we've lost that we're able to kind of say, okay, like how do we do this better next time so that this doesn't happen again? That's fascinating. Okay. So you joined the WNBA when it's just five years old. So you played for 15 years. Now you serve as a general manager of the Indiana Fever. It's almost as if there never was a WNBA without Tamiki Catchings. <laughs> and I was an uh, intern before that. <laughs> were you really? Oh, it's in the very, very beginning. What was WNBA like when you first started playing? And how have you seen it evolve over the years? And what do you envision the future for, for the league to be? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, Cheryl Swoop, Don Staley, and Lisa Leslie, like those three – and then, of course, Tina Thompson and Katie Smith, like those were the players that I looked up to when I was younger. And so having the opportunity to get into the WNBA and even like as an intern, I was an intern in between my junior and senior year of college. My sister actually got drafted to the Phoenix Mercury. Mm-hmm. And so I went out there with her and ended up becoming an intern with the Mercury, even though she got cut, she moved back to like we lived in Phoenix and were around the whole experience. She and got I, cut. You stayed on? Well, I, I was an intern, <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I had already gotten the job as an intern. Yeah. So even though she got cut, it was like, okay, now what am I going to do? Like, I can't quit my job. Yeah. So she got picked up by Miami Soul at that point, got cut from the So then she ended up moving to Phoenix, and you know, we just lived in Phoenix for the summer. Mm-hmm. So what do you see as the future for the WNBA? Because you're in a position of influence, and you always had influence because you've been around since the beginning, but now you're a member of the Hall of Fame. You've got more sway than maybe you had and maybe more of a potential to be not only a part of the vision that you see and that you'd hope for, but to actually make it happen. What are your hopes and your dreams for the league? Yeah, I have high hope and dreams for our league, you know, and to go back to your question, you said, you know, like, where have you seen the advancement of the players? Well, I think the great thing now is, I mean, when we were growing up, we didn't have the W to look to and be like, oh, I want to play in the WNBA like so-and-so. And now these young players, they have that. So from the age of zero all the way to the age of, you know, 22, 21, 22, you have something to emulate. You have something to aspire to be like and someone to aspire to be like. And so I think that's been the beauty. And, you know, even during this time and, you know, you see our ladies in the W getting more active on social media and that being something that our younger generation is really drawn to, that's off the court. But I think on the court, you have more young girls that have somebody to look up to and somebody to be like. And so I think when you look at the WNBA and you look at the future, you know, you really, I think it's bright. You know, you have more young ladies that I look at right now and the players that are playing the ones, you know, we just had our WNBA draft. And so the players that we've drafted and just like when they come to our team, what they're able to bring and, you know, the history that they have. I mean, you got college graduates, you got overseas players that are coming, you got 
these young ladies that have done so many great things in their collegiate careers coming to the WNBA. So from a fan perspective, being able to have the fans that are following those young ladies throughout their careers and being able to watch. But I think from the game aspect on the floor, you have 144 young ladies that are the best of the best. So I want to pivot here as we move towards the end of our time here, Tamika. When you think about just your career and the different steps of it, earlier you said the idea that you made basketball your God. It sounds like that's something you learned early on there at your time at Tennessee. In what ways have you prevented that from becoming an idol and worshiping kind of the game, your work, at the expense of other things in your life? Yeah, I mean, being more focused and being more in tune to God, to Bible, to worship, to having the right group of people around me. I've had the same Bible study group since 2005. So, you know, like even during this period of time of being on lockdown, being more intentional, being focused on having our Bible study group, having prayer time, making sure, you know, devotionals, all of that. And then, you know, I think one thing that my pastor always talks about is the people around you, you got to see what they're in your life for. And the ones that don't draw you closer to God are those the ones that you really want in your life or want around you. And so I think for me personally, as I look at my life as an athlete and, you know, learning how to put my focus and learning how to focus on like I'm playing the game because God has given me the ability and the skill to be able to do that. To now on the other side of the court and in a different position, being able to show our players how they can walk the walk and talk the talk and have their faith be kind of the light for them to follow. And, uh, you know, I feel like every single day, my job, when I get up, my purpose in life is obviously what God has given me the ability to do, but really to be a bright spot and a light for those that I'm around. When you think about the league and you think about young players and leaders that are coming up when people that are integrating their faith and intentionally looking for ways to do that. Who are the players out there that give you encouragement and hope to know that there are people out there trying to integrate their faith and their work in the WNBA? Well, I would say every team has a variety, has a good number of them. You know, one thing for the W and the NBA is that we have chapel before, you know, every game. And so you see some people are like, wait, so both teams come in the same room, like right before they're going to go out on battle. And I'm like, yeah, it's unique. I know, but it works. You know, you're sitting in that room and I know that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to give you 50. But in this room right now, we're focused on God, right? Audience of one. You know, so I think the encouragement really is that on each team, you have players and you have chaplains that are so dedicated and so focused to feeding these players the right type of food, quote unquote, then that's the God food and the Bible and the truth and, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and all these young people that are coming to the game and watching us and aspiring to be like that. You want to be that example. You want to be that faith, that Christ-like example on and off the court. And this is where they get to see you in your craft. And so I think it, the beauty of the W and the beauty of the players that we have in our league is that you have players that are spot on and that are trying to do whatever it takes to live their life as Christ-like as possible. Earlier, you mentioned that, that there are sliding doors and moments that God might not reveal to us in the moment why he does something, but later it becomes clear. You talk about the idea of, I guess I would be remiss not to ask, why do you think God brought Coach Summit into your life? 
Hmm. I think he brought her into my life a and young as an example, you know, and I think for me watching Pat, you know, you always watch people and sometimes you're watching people even when you're not really watching them, right? And I feel like for me, I was always watching Pat. The years that I, before I got there, and then of course, when I got to the University of Tennessee, my freshman year, the year that she sat me down and got me back into wearing my hearing aids. And, you know, I remember sitting in that, like I can see myself sitting in the training room, like I see her and, you know, our trainer at the time, Jenny Moshak, like standing in front of me and talking to me about, you know, getting back into wearing my hearing aids. And Pat said, one day your story will reach thousands, maybe millions of people as far as like wearing my hearing aids and getting back into, you know, speech therapy. And I remember sitting there in front of her and in my head, I was thinking this lady has no idea who I am because I didn't talk to people. Public speaking would never have been something that I would have done. And so for me, I had put like my own little blinders on and I put myself in my own little box of what I was capable of doing. But then when you look in the Bible and you think about, you know, Jacob and you think about all the things and Moses and, you know, you, you go through and you have people that had different things in their lives that in their mind should have stopped them, but God pushed them through. Pat was kind of that for me. You know, she was the one that kind of opened the door, like God had given her the vision or given her the word to speak. And for me, I didn't have, my vision wasn't broad enough to see where I could be and what type of platform God would put me on. And um, if I hadn't gotten back into wearing my hearing aid, then the story wouldn't have came out my freshman year in college. I don't know where I'd be. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure at some point I would have gotten back into it. And who would have been that person? I don't know. But to have somebody of her stature care so much about me and care so much about me getting back into wearing my hearing aids and getting back into speech therapy and doing things that would help me as a person for my future and the future of so many other young people that one day will, you know, be in this seat and be able to do this. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff to see how Pat saw that, spoke that truth. And many years later, you find many that are looking up to you in this time, in this season, and throughout your career, especially as you have such a great honor with the Hall of Fame. If you could make the most out of this opportunity here and speak the truth of where just God has you in this season. Maybe there's a passage, a piece of scripture that's coming alive recently that, that you would share with our listeners. That was uh, interesting. I was talking about this earlier with a friend. And you know, during this time in particular, of having to be at home and having to like get a new norm, right? The last couple of years of my career, you know, I have a running joke with one of the players that I played against and because I moved around so much on the court, she'd always say, just be still, just be still. And you know, like we would start laughing, like be still, be still, be still. And then after I got finished, same thing, like people were like, gosh, like you're always moving, you're everywhere, you're doing this, you're doing that. And you're just like, you're doing a lot of great things, but you're everywhere. And so in this moment, the thing that I think of the most is be still. And having to take a moment to appreciate the people that are around me, having to take a moment, I move my office outside, so I'm in the patio and I have a little space heater because it does get cold. (laughs) But I'm looking and we have a little hill and we have trees and I've seen 
pretty much every single type of bird you can imagine. I feel like I've seen just fly through and we've had deer just dart through the yard. And in this moment, like I really feel like God has put me in a place of contentment, extreme focus, and just like being still and being in this moment that I'm in right now. And I can tell you, like, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, like, oh my gosh, like what's gonna happen when we get back? And you can't live in faith and fear at the same time. And I really have faith that when we get out of this, we as a nation and not just the USA, but like as a global, like as a world, we will be in such a better place as far as what our new norm will look like. And we will be okay. We will be fine. It will take a little bit and there will be some trials and tribulations that will get us through. But I really think like being still, being content and then being ready when God said go, like being ready to make that next move. That is great, Tamika. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey, for speaking to the progress that has been made and the dreams that have been opened and the doors have been opened, how God has done that in your life and you've been faithful to make the most out of those and steward those well. So thank you for sharing that with our audience. Uh, We're just grateful to have you on the show. As we finish up, we like to spotlight a ministry that is locking arms with our listeners. We know that many listening to the show are business owners and entrepreneurs looking to live out your faith in the marketplace. So this week, We want to make sure everyone knows about The Faith-Driven Entrepreneur. It's a weekly podcast, a monthly newsletter, a daily blog, along with other video Bible studies and events that help you get provisioned for the journey you are on. Check it out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Thank you very much for joining us for today's show. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenathlete.org. We're very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven community. Come check out our podcast at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and also faithdriveninvestor.org. We, of course, want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see listeners coming to the sites from more than 100 countries. It's very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey, one that you're proud of and that you'll share with others. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music by Carl Kegwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. 